Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. We are zigging and zagging today. I'm not sure why I said that, but I feel like we've been very productive today, Matt. What do you think? Yes, we have been productive. <laughs> It's sad that we celebrate that so much. (laughs) I don't know if in 200 episodes we've actually been able to say we felt productive. Right. So think about that, listeners. No, and I jokingly say that. Someone asked me the other day, like, how do you actually commit to putting out an episode every week? And a lot of times it's we either sit down and knock a bunch out to build up a bank of them, or it's Matt and I running around and quickly saying, hey, do you have time to record today? Yes. Do you have a topic? Kind of. And then... Fortunately, it's like, here's the thing. People are like, how do you prepare for it? And it's like, well, if you think about our combined years of experience, we've been preparing for these episodes for decades. We've been preparing. Yeah. So it's not like you need to like sit down and actually be like, okay, how are we going to talk about viscosity? It's like, we've been talking about it for years. It's just a matter of like organizing the conversation in a way that people can actually listen and learn something. So it's easy. We don't really have to prepare because we are always preparing. When people have asked me that, I'm just like, oh yeah, we just like outline something. It takes like 10 minutes. And I feel like I should be using what you said instead of we totally go halfway on this. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, actually we have this bank of knowledge. I mean, that's exactly what it is. We pick a topic and it's like, hey, let's go put together some notes, make sure that we have a clear format to convey that information. We are going through things we have discussed in the past with our customers, experienced ourselves on a rig. It's not like, hey, I want to talk about quantum mechanics today. Yeah, in 10 minutes, I'll get back to you. Well, <laughs> exactly. You know, like, yeah, so it's been years of preparation, and we just happened to sit behind a microphone and talk about it for everyone else to listen. But with that being said, this is a good conversation. I've often had a lot of conversations around this topic between myself and a mud engineer. When I was doing the day-to-day and talking with mud engineers on multiple times a day, whenever pH and alkalinities came up, it was always – Everyone's school of thought is somewhat different, but it ultimately results in the same thing. It's like, what does our PF and MF and pH need to be to get the properties we need to make sure the fluid stays and performs and doesn't fall apart and we have all these issues. But with the purpose of today, Matt, is I think it'd be good to define the difference and describe pH and versus alkalinity. Yes. And again, I'm saying that and trying to make sure my words are right because it can often get confusing. I mean, as a mud engineer running water base for the first few times, a lot of the words and jargon kind of get mixed in and really then had to go back to the mud manual and figure out, okay, how does this all work? And if you talk to different folks in the mud industry, everyone has some pretty strong opinions on, well, if my pH is this and my PF has to be this, well, this product adjusts this MF, but it doesn't adjust PF. And again, I don't think we're going to get quite in the weeds that way, but from a chemistry perspective, it's really good to understand the difference. Yeah. It's one of those, like, you don't want to take it for granted. I mean, one, if you want to change the pH, it's pretty important to know pH versus alkalinity. Mm -hmm. But also, we measure both. And understanding some of those relationships, I think, can be pretty helpful. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Hopefully, we can clear the air for anyone who's a little bit confused. So, let's start with pH. Let's start there. Yeah. So, is it acidic or basic? And how acidic and how basic? pH is you've got this scale. It's a logarithmic scale. And way down at zero is 
H plus or your concentration of hydrogens. That's your most acidic. So the lower the pH, the more acidic you are. Go the other way, all the way up to 14. Those your hydroxyls are OH minus. The more I have of those, the more basic I am. But right in the middle, if I have H plus and I add it to OH minus, I get H2O, right? So my pH of seven right in the middle is neutral. And everything in between, it's this logarithmic scale, right? A pH of zero means I have one times 10 to the minus 14th moles per liter of hydroxyl ions and one mole per liter of hydrogen. So it's the most acidic you could possibly be. A pH of 14 is the other way around. So one mole per liter of hydroxyl ions and one times 10 to the minus 14, which is a very small number, as you might be able to imagine, of H+. Notice the 10 to the minus 14, pH of 14, the scale going across 14. But when the concentrations are equal at 7, 1 times 10 to the minus 7th moles per liter of hydrogen, 1 times 10 to the minus 7 moles per liter of hydroxyls, H2O being water. But then we want to add something to change the pH, an acid or a base. So I'm increasing the H+, plus, or a lot of times we're raising the pH because we want to be more basic in that 9 to 10 and a half range. What do we add? We add caustic. What is caustic? Sodium, sodium hydroxide, hydroxide, OH, right? Yeah. Caustic potash, potassium hydroxide, OH. I'm adding OHs. What is lime? Calcium hydroxide, adding OHs. I'm shifting my scale to the right. When we add an acid or I encounter H2S, what's one of the signs? Drop in Drop pH. Yeah. H, right? Adding hydrogens. I add hydrochloric acid. I mean, we're not mixing hydrochloric acid on the rig, but work with me here. <laughs> Most likely you're going to add a citric, and that's a pretty complex chemical formula, but you'll notice there's H's present. Yeah. So we're shifting towards the acidic side of the range. We're increasing my H+. The other thing is there might be other stuff in there. I saw a great video that kind of shows this, what you might call like buffering effect, where you might add acid and nothing happens. Imagine you have a jar of deionized water. So there's no other goodies in there because deionized, right? Mm -hmm. If you put a pH meter in there and just add a little bit of vinegar, which is an acid, guess what happens? pH drops immediately. But let's say you raise the pH a little bit with baking soda. And there's a good YouTube video of this by somebody. Keep an eye out for it if you're really curious. We add some baking soda. pH goes up a little bit. But then we start adding acid, so we add the same vinegar, and guess what? The pH doesn't go down immediately. You got to add more, you got to add more, you got to add more, and you have this neutralizing effect until finally the pH starts to drop with the addition of more H+. And it's because you keep neutralizing this buffered material. Buffer is binding to the acid to neutralize it. Basically, alkalinity is like the acid you can absorb without the pH changing. And then let's get to the mud report. What do you do when you're looking for your color change with a phenylphthalein titration? Well, we know the color change is a pH of 8.3, but what am I doing? I'm adding a known concentration of acid and seeing how much it takes to get that pH. So if I'm buffered, if there's something else in there, it's going to take a lot more than not. And you can also see that buffering effect. Think about your MF where you get a change at 4.3. So now I can see a buffering effect between 8.3 and 4.3 relative to just getting my pH from whatever it is down to 8.3. But I'm looking at those buffering effects until I can get the pH to change for that color indicator to change. This helps you distinguish between your carbonates and bicarbonates. These are really fundamental elements of what we're doing when we check alkalinities is understanding the buffering effect and where it's taking place 
to figure out how do we treat it. It helps you quantify what else is there. But if we just run our pH and take using a pH meter, I don't get that information. Yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting concept. And it's one that I always had a bit of a struggle with it, maybe because I wasn't really great at chemistry, but it's good to know. And I would imagine, Matt, do you want to get into like the products that adjust certain things just like at a high level? Like I know we kind of talked about like the sodium hydroxide, caustic, potassium hydroxide, but if you're looking at, because one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is like, if you want to adjust your PF, why do you want your MF and PF to have a certain ratio? Because that's important. Yeah, I think I'd actually lean on another one of our other episodes where we got into carbonates versus bicarbonates. Yeah. But understanding those relationships, basically, if you try and treat for one and you actually have the other, you can make it worse. I guess that's probably the shortest yeah. way to convey it. And whether you're going to add JIP or whether you're going to add lime or where you want to keep your pH within right. is all going to align with what you actually have. And your ratio of your PF to your MF will give you a really good idea of what you're dealing with. I was just going to add that you reminded me of is think about those times when you add stuff and the pH doesn't change. One thing to keep in mind is let's say one reason, like I don't mind buffers, like buffers aren't a bad thing, but soda ash buffers out. Soda ash will raise the pH to a point, but it won't get you higher necessarily. Yeah. Magox will raise your pH to a point, magnesium hydroxide, another set of OHs. But caustic will let you run. We know caustic can get a very, very, very high pH if you just have pure caustic solution. The thing is, granted, hopefully we're being careful with how we handle our caustic and that sort of thing. But caustic can just run, run, run on you and burn up products and create all kinds of other issues. If I'm trying to get my pH in the 10 range or whatever, I can add magox and eventually magox is going to stop raising the pH. It's just going to buffer out. Now, when it buffers out, it's going to be harder to lower the pH because yeah. it's buffering, but I can't let it run away on me where I'm scorching polymers and that sort of thing mm -hmm. under certain conditions. Magox has a price. You're adding magnesium, which you may not want it, but there were certain applications where it made sense. Kind of in our history where even adding some of these certain products like, yeah, you can get a pH, but it's not going to take off on you. Understanding where that buffering effect hits. I mean, lime, I think we've talked about this in the past. Lime solubilizes so slowly that we risk over-treating our system if we're not careful. Because you throw some in and you don't see the pH change until a few circulations later. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm actually dealing with. Yeah, There are just certain situations where that can run away on you and be a bit of a problem where your pH running up too high. Big picture, I just wanted to convey like understanding where your alkalinities lie and their relationship will also shed some light on you know, if you're having foaming issues or other things. Yeah. The carbonates, bicarbonates is the biggest part of the conversation. But I wanted to convey just the distinction primarily between affinity or between alkalinity and pH, because a lot of people, when you think, oh, it's alkaline, you think basic. Yeah. I mean, that's true. But the question is, okay, how much acid is it going to take now relative to something that doesn't have any other goodies in it? Yeah. Again, I'm glad you dove into this because... To me, it's a little abstract, but that's just the way my brain works. But it's definitely every time I talk about it, I grasp it a little bit more, a little bit more. And so hopefully for the listeners out there, for those of you who are interested more on the chemistry side of what we do, you were able to learn something. If you have any questions or would like Matt to elaborate, because I don't think I had much value to this conversation, but again, happy to do that. We always are willing to dive deeper to, again, educate ourselves, educate the audience. And so for those listening, really appreciate you listening. Share this with mud engineers or anyone that you feel would be interested. 
If you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. You can find us on all the platforms. Make sure you check us out on LinkedIn too. There's a lot of good content being put out on there. Our YouTube page, you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Matt, anything else before we wrap it up, buddy? No, look on YouTube. If this one does stretch you a little bit, there are some good little demos in the lab on YouTube. So absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And check it out, everyone. With that being said, take care until next week. See you guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.